Hey guys, Matt here at Sweat Elite. Thanks for joining in on the podcast again today. We have Philip Barr, who is Berlin's fastest marathon runner, and he's quickly becoming one of Germany's best marathoners. He ran 2.16 in his debut marathon earlier this year in Dusseldorf, and he's only 26, and he's only just getting warmed up on the roads. Uh, we talk about his goals in the future. He's staring down the barrel of 2.10, 212, um, and he, of course, would like to qualify for the next Olympics. Philip has recently uh, been involved in a new track club in Berlin. We speak a little bit about that. And he also attended college in Texas in the USA. So, so for those of you that have attended college before in the US or that are thinking about it, this is a great episode for you to listen to. So we talk about training, US, uh, college system, and uh, his goals moving forward. So I hope you enjoy this episode. But before we get into it, I invite you all to check out the new book we recently published on Amazon that's hit a few top lists already in the first week and a half. It's the Elliot Kipchoge book that we wrote all about our experience in Kenya training alongside him. So there's an Elliot Kipchoge training edition on our website, which is all about his training in specifics. Um, it splits times all about the workouts. This book's a little bit different. It does have a lot of that in it as well, but it's more so about the talking about the culture in Kenya and the culture within the group and the attitude amongst the group. So it's quite a bit different. It's $9.99 US cents on Amazon now. And uh, from all the feedback we've heard, it's, uh, it's a good read. So um, do check it out on Amazon if you can. Uh, but without further ado, here is my conversation with Philip Barth. Thanks a lot for joining me, Philip. You're in Berlin right now in your hometown. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, sitting in Berlin. It's uh, morning hours over here. Another beautiful day. We've had very fortunate weather for Berlin standards this October. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. I'm in a good mood. You catch me on a good day. Awesome. And you, earlier this year in April, you opened up your marathon debut with a very fast 2.16, which is... Which is fast. I mean, there's not too many people outside of Africa, I guess, that open up with a debut that quick. Um, so let's get straight into it and talk about how that was and what, yeah, how you felt about that and what are the goals moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, basically, yeah, it was a debut marathon. I'm, I, I was happy with the performance um, for the first one, yet I still like to remind people that I'm still not the fastest woman out there. So I guess. Um, nothing to get too excited about yet, but um, I was very glad that the first marathon worked out because I know a lot of people don't really have very nice experiences in, in their first marathon. So it was really just a matter for me of going out a little bit conservative. I, I was hoping for uh, to crack the, the standard for the European um, Championships this year, which was 217 mm-hmm. for the, for the um, team basically. It was like a team cup where um, each country could send six people and the standard for that was 217. So that was, of course, the minimum goal. So we went out accordingly in about 68, 30, pretty much right on. And then a few guys from the group really started grinding it out and um, we're, we're moving pretty good at that point. And I was feeling very, very good till about, let's say, 38 kilometers, so right around maybe two and a half miles before the finish. And then um, I, for a second, I was afraid that I was meeting um, what we call the guy with the hammer. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't too bad because thankfully at, at uh, 40 kilometers was the next aid station. So I had about two kilometers where I slowed um, about 10 seconds per kilometer. But then once I, I got my next drink, um, I really 
you know, got like second life out of myself and um, I managed to run the last two kilometers pretty quick. The last one was um, in, in three flat and I actually edged out one of my competitors that day. I, I beat him just by a few seconds. So I really like kicked to the finish line. That was a very important kick because I was the last guy to make the team for Europeans. Um, so he was the first one out. So I like to say, I like to refer to these 400 meters as the most important 400 meters of my life. <laughs> what, um, was, what was in that drink? <laughs> you, you said um, you took that drink well, like uh, just a couple of kilometers before the end and then you, you had a second life. Do you think that, that had anything to, like, to do with how you felt? Um, I like, um, I like to think that it did. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have bounced back without it. Well, my, my drinking strategy was pretty, pretty much straightforward, but also very planned out. So I've been practicing basically with, um, with Morton. Um, I'm sure some of you, all yes. of you have seen it out there. Maybe. Many of the top, um, many of the top runners, you know, all of the NN runners yeah, team all use all these different. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I've, I'm practicing with that. It's really, really good on the stomach. I've really had not had any issues. And um, so I like to spike mine a little bit at 15 kilometers and 30 kilometers. I added some extra salt because I'm, I'm a pretty heavy sweater. Right. So, so I added some extra salt and I also added some extra caffeine, about 100 milligrams um, per bottle. So basically I had eight bottles, one every five kilometers. And after roughly... 50 minutes and about an hour 40, so 15K and 30K, I had some salt and some caffeine in my bottles, which always kind of helped me, you know, stay on the edge, basically. I really like to run with caffeine in my races. I also take a little bit before the races, um, usually not as a, as a capsule or pill. I usually just drink a very, very strong black tea. Mm -hmm. um, that works pretty well for me and it's good on the stomach. And then during the race, I also like to um, yeah, go back to caffeine in the long races. In the half marathon, I don't really use it that much during the race at all. But in the marathon, I think it really helps you to stay focused, especially in the later stages of the race. So I think that was just a combination of good pacing, um, good fueling strategy, and then just maybe a little kick from the caffeine that um, I really managed to kind of stay on it till the end and never really basically, um, yeah, died, if you want to call it that. Sure. Um, I think that was, that was um, my strategy that worked pretty well for that one. Yeah, cool. As I said, that's a, that's a fast debut. Um, and I guess moving forward, you're, you're targeting Olympic qualifying standards. Well, I know the Olympic qualifying standard officially is about 217, but many countries have it much lower. Um, but I guess mm -hmm. let's talk quickly before about... Uh, before we talk about your goals moving forward, what, what was your training like leading into the to the race? Were you sort of consistent with? Did you have any any hiccups at all? And you know, what does your sort of training look like as a as a broad overview? Mm -hmm. um, my training started thirteen weeks out. So my coach, um, which is also the same coach from another guy I used to have on the podcast, Johan Flügel, he's a German Olympic, um, and um, I I had the same coach as him for the past two years. So my training was fairly similar. Um, other people say that our training is really hard, which I guess I could agree on, but it's it's different hard. So like um, we start 13 weeks out because he always likes to save one week basically for needed recovery in the middle somewhere. Um, and since I'm or I was at the time working a full-time job, 
um, it wasn't too easy balancing the high miles with my work, especially because it was German winter. I started out very early in February. So basically, I'm not sure if any of you have been out to Europe in the winter, Central Europe. Um, it's basically dark all the time. So, so <laughs> I can you know, I can you, attest to that. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> so you spend your your bright hours, basically the sunny hours. You you um, spend the time at work, basically. So I, I ran before work and after work. Um, so you really try to like get the best out of it, and um, of course recovery is another issue. But um, I'll talk about that in a second. So the training basically. Um, I started out with about 100 miles per week, um, which, well, I have to add, my, my body is pretty sturdy. I've never really in my life had any injuries that kept me out from running more than four or five days. Nice. Um, so I basically knew um, going into it, I've had a lot of 100 mile weeks under my belt. It, it shouldn't really bother me. So we started out with 100, and then we basically broke up the training into two cycles, so basically two waves. Um, so we worked it up. At first, um, to about what was it? Um, about 130 miles a week. Yeah, that, that works. Yeah, 210 roughly kilometers per week um, in the first cycle. So I hit that probably around week five or six. And during that time, we were in a training camp uh, on a, on an island in the Netherlands. Uh, well, you might ask, why would you go to from one cold place to another cold place? Well. <laughs> And my coach um, is, is kind of old school, and he believed that if we go to a warm place, it's going to make us soft. So he was like, well, your spring marathon is not going to be a nice experience, so I'm not going to make your winter training a nice experience, so let's go somewhere cold and windy. <laughs> so I remember Julian was, talking about this location as well. Um, so, yeah. So, so just yeah. for reference, Ju Julian Julian's also a, a German marathon. He's 2.13 from memory. Um, mm -hmm. who we spoke to and he mentioned this just training. So it'd be good to talk briefly about that while we're here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's basically, it's an island in, in the, um, in the North sea, um, small island. Basically there's a lot of dunes, a lot of sand, not many people, but it's very beautiful. Lots of forests. Um, you can run through the dunes, rolling hills, gain some strength, but you can also run flat and fast. So we've done some, some ridiculous long runs out there. Um, it usually gets pretty windy. So, you know, any marathon in April, chances are it's going to get cold, rainy, windy. Um, this will be your most likely scenario. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to prepare for that. Right. And um, training, training went well. I caught a little cold out there, but it wasn't one of I'm sure if you hold on, um, keep going, or if you should take off a little bit. So we just switched a few days, which... Um, in retrospective was maybe not the best idea because after the training camp I yeah didn't fall in a hole but I was I was pretty tired it was this typical you know what you always read in magazines on the boards where people are like oh marathon is marathon training is terrible it's I'm tired all the time I felt like that for about two weeks and then I German cross country nationals I actually um, for the first time in eight years, um, had to drop out of a race because it just felt like someone pulled a plug on me. Right. Um, mm. I was going good for about eight of 10 kilometers. Uh, and then the last two K, um, I just found myself in a place where I thought to myself, I don't know how I'm going to finish. So, so I figured, okay, you're in the middle of a marathon buildup. Um, let's not ruin anything. The big picture is, is the marathon race. So let's just call it for the day. Um, that was it. And uh, kind of sat down with my coach, 
we talked about okay what are the lessons learned basically and i came to myself and uh, with my, together with my coach that um yes i never really get injured but i'm still you know a normal human being <laughs> and maybe it wasn't the best idea to keep running a high amount of mileage plus marathon workouts plus work plus long runs and really try to push all the distance run a little quick too right so you hear a lot from people that say well easy distance easy um fast isn't fast and so on um so my lesson learned in that middle really was okay marathon training is hard <laughs> don't make the easy days harder than they have to be yes so <laughs> so Fantastic basically advice. what i did from there on out um I just left my watch at home. I ran routes that I knew how long they were, so I covered the miles that I had to basically cover. Um, and I'm sure I, some of those days I ran just as fast as I did before. But I, well, what um, John McDonnell and others used to say, I basically used my instruments um, yes. to to kind of gauge how fast I should be running. Yeah, but, but, then, really but then none of these much. none of these workouts are logged on Strava. <laughs> exactly yeah if you if you looked at my strava exactly um all of a sudden um from logging everything people were asking me hey are you doing okay uh, are you injured are you sick i said oh i'm fine i just um i'm not running my watch anymore so uh, and a few people confused there for a bit yeah by the way uh, i'm not gonna philip didn't tell me to say this but philip has a, a pretty a pretty big following on strava if, if not if if you're on strava you should you should get on there and follow him he's Got some good training um, happening at the moment, anyway. And what are you building up towards now? Like, let's get back to the topic of the the debut and and, and what's next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, since the debut went very well and uh, I got nominated for the European Championship, that kind of kicked open a few doors for me. So um, at one of those fun runs here in Berlin, um, I I actually saw and met um, Uta Pippich which I'm not sure if all of you know her, but in the 90s, she won Boston three times, Berlin three times, and New York City Marathon also once. And her then spouse and coach was um, Dieter Hogan. So I met this fun run here in Berlin, and I'm talking to my my manager at the race, and he and he says, "Hey, have you met Uta?" And I talked to Uta a little bit, and basically, one is my mind. So, well, if Uta is here, um, maybe Dieter Hogan is here. And I say, "Hey, uh, Christoph, that's the name of my manager. Um, is Dieter here?" And he said, "Yeah, he's right over there." So, um, Dieter is coming over. We just chit chat a little bit, and um, well, you know, he's been living out um, in the um, in Kenya and Boulder for yeah you know, the larger part of the last thirty years. And so we start talking. And he's a little intrigued by, you know, running marathons and working full time because most of his or all of his athletes are, are professionals. So um, he says, well, I have an idea. Let me get back to you. He got my email. And um, a few days later, we start writing emails. He said, well, let's meet up. Let's talk a little bit. So we start talking. And he asked me for my goals, this and that. And I'm saying, hey, well, I'm working full time. So I, I'm not sure where my ceiling will be, but I think it should be somewhere around 212 I'm guessing you know working maybe part-time a little less and and running marathons so that's what you know a few people in the past have ran um, with mediocre talent and hard work and you know some focus but you know still working a little bit so I figure okay he says well 
um, let's go talk a little bit. And we kept talking and talking and talking. And then at one point he tells me that um, the people um, that organize the Berlin Marathon, which is a company called SCC Events, it stands for uh, Sportclub Charlottenburg, Charlottenburg being um, a district here in Berlin. They, they organize a bunch of races here around Berlin, the Berlin Half Marathon, the Berlin Marathon, and um, about 20 other events. Um, well, they, they were on a plane on their way to London Marathon um, and saying, man, okay, again this year, you know, we're hosting the best marathon or the fastest marathon in the world. Um, we're shooting for world records, this and that, and we don't really have an own team or we don't have any German athletes really in there that um, are really doing anything other than, yeah, you know, running results there, but nothing that really strikes your interest that that people talk about, no, let's say, sub-two-tens, you know, in that area. Sure. And um, so they figured, okay, well, let's let's sit down and debate what we can do about that. So they, they started with the idea, and we've had a few decent runners in Berlin every once in a while, and people were already, you know, well, if they were only getting the support they needed, maybe they could be better, this and that. Um, and they were like, okay, let's do it. Um, why not Why not do it? And uh, at the same time, um, Dieter Hogan, who is very good friends with um, these people um, out at SCC events, um, they started talking and he was saying, hey, um, I, I'm thinking about locating back to Berlin. He's originally from, from East Germany and he's lived um, quite some years out in Potsdam, which is um, about 30 minutes from Berlin. And then Uta and him also ran for these, uh, this club, SC Charlottenburg. So they had this connection already and um, he started talking, hey, um, why don't we do something together? And that's how the idea kind of, you know, started. And so the only thing basically that they needed now was athletes. And um, lucky me, I walked around at the perfect timing because, yeah, I had just run a decent marathon, showed some sort of, of talent for the distance, I guess. And um, I'm young, basically. I'm, I'm flexible. I... Um, you know, never really had any injuries, so he figured, hey, why not give it a shot? And um, with Dieter Hogan, he really likes to pick his athletes by personality, personality I guess. Um, you know, you could be a fast kid, but if he just doesn't, I guess, like you, maybe that's the wrong word, but if he doesn't see it in you, then he won't, quote-unquote, waste his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he just liked that I was really motivated and um, did most of the stuff by myself and uh, these kind of things. And yeah, that's how it all got started. And um, now looking forward, well, he told me and the other people told me that their goal is to basically um, produce one or hopefully a few more German runners that are able to run right around or hopefully right under 210 so that in Europe will put you on the map. For sure. And we'll put you on the map mostly anywhere except maybe Eastern Africa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so basically that's how it all got started. And, and that's probably our long-term goal. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm, I'm very aware that 210 is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, it's baby steps. I know that. But hopefully my, my age, I'm 26 years old now. And um, the guidance of the coach and such will help me to eventually reach that goal. And on the way there, of course, there's a few... A few step stones that you have to hit. Everybody knows uh, 210 is nothing that you just you just do. It's uh, lots of hard work, and there's also other distances where you need to improve to hit that kind of time. So basically, 
that's kind of my timeline um, going out from now on. Yep, perfect. Very well explained. So I really like the last thing you said there. There's a number of different things you have to do in order to drop that time from 216 down. And like, what are they in your mind? Um, well, first of all, um, the biggest thing for me is um, to stop working, basically. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think I'm necessarily going to have to train more. I just think I have to rest more. Yeah, that's, um, really, that's, a, that's a very good. It's a very good answer because it's something that I think is correct with a lot of people that they that they don't know it. Like they don't they don't do it. They actually think they need to train more. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, it's just about exactly what you said: resting more and just being more consistent with training. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The biggest the biggest problem that I found with working and training, and I do recommend to anybody who still has those goals, let's say, I know in the States, for a lot of people, it's the Olympic qualifier. Um, in other countries, it might, it might be to earn um, a vest or some sort of thing, you know, run for, for your respective country um, once at least, or, you know, compete at national championships and stuff. I really encourage everybody to, to stick with it stick to your goals, stick to your plans, um, even if you have to work. Of course, sometimes you might have to look around a little bit to find an employer that really supports these these hobbies. And um, again, it's really all like um, the university professors tell you. It's all about networking, really. You have to find the right kind of people that want to support you and are, have an actual interest in what you're doing. Um, and I really encourage everybody to stick with it. That's why, um, yeah, because I would say, if I hadn't done it, I, I wouldn't get the chance now to really do these kind of things. So a lot of people, I think, prematurely assume that, okay, I'm not going to make it. Um, I have no I have no shot, basically. I'm too slow. Other people are faster than me. I have to work now. Um, really, working and running is possible. You just have to be extremely disciplined. So um, maybe I can give you a little idea of how uh, my day would normally look. Um, Maybe that, that would be interesting for people to see because a lot of people tell me, um, yeah, I have trouble running five times a week and such. Um, I like to tell them um, that others out there, you know, run 10 to 12 times a week while holding a job. So usually it's it's all about getting up early, um, get your run in before work. I, I noticed it's a lot easier to run before work rather than after. Um, I sometimes felt a little drained after work. I'm sure others feel like that too. And... Um, Basically, get your work done. Maybe you will even have an awesome employee or some, some, some sort of flexible hours that you can catch a lunch run instead if you don't want to get up super early. And then um, second practice would have happened usually after work. And then um, it's the biggest problem really is it's not the running. The biggest problem is, you know, the stretching, lifting, um, physiotherapy. The one percenters. Um, yeah, basically um, everything. It's 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 extremely hard to get to get these these essentials in. Um, also, in Germany, we like to do like sauna and all these kind of things in winter to stay healthy. <laughs> so really, it just it comes down to your time management. That's that's the biggest part of it. But I think it's absolutely worth it. Um, absolutely worth to stick with your goals because again. Um, no one is going to be able to tell you what your ceiling actually is. So it's up to you to try it. And um, I think it's possible to work and run. So as long as you find an employer that really kind of supports you on that, um, you should really give it a go. Yeah, perfect. Um, awesome. And and what is your, well, just quickly talk about what is your current job situation now? Like you were working full time, you're, you're, you're looking to turn pro. So what's, what's that situation look like? Mm-hmm. So I worked uh, full-time till uh, June and then I cut my hours down to 30 because my employer well 
uh, kind of noticed that I was running a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was very nice of him. Um, he's he's a big uh, a big fan of endurance sports. He he approached me, asked me if I wanted to cut back, um, which I did because. You know, when you start running decent times, you can also, you know, make quick dollar here and there. So I told him, I said, hey, um, I have two two resources at the time that are important to me. One is, of course, money and the other one is time. And um, I had enough of one, but not enough of the other, which um, was I didn't have enough time. That was my biggest thing. Um, so I asked him to cut back. So he was he was happy with that. Um, I'm actually uh, working currently as a headhunter. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so it's basically, you know, it's a lot of hustle, um, but it's, it's definitely doable. It gives you a little bit of flexibility. I can meet and talk to clients, um, after my runs, before my runs in the afternoon, in the evening, you know, when most other people are out of work anyway. So that kind of, that kind of worked pretty well for that. Um, so now moving forward, I'm going to still work till the end of the year because I'm going to honor my contract with my employee, uh, employer, of course. And uh, it also has to do with switching clubs. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of the system in Germany. So we have a club sp- club sport system um, where you don't really compete in, in high schools and such. You just basically go to school during the day and in the evening you go to your, go to your sports club, let it be soccer, tennis, track and field, whichever. And you can only switch clubs once a year, which the deadline being November 30th. So basically, I have to wait um, till November 30th before I can switch clubs. And then my new club um, here in Berlin will help me um, on the financial side and will allow me to basically quit my 9 to 5 job um, and yeah, do what most people would call go professional. Yeah, cool. Very well explained. Actually, it's um, I guess it's cool with a lot of the listeners here and readers of Sweater Leader from the US. So they're probably not very familiar with how that club works um and actually this is a perfect transition into talking about um your last sort of seven or eight years because you spent some time in the u.s at at at, at a college uh mm-hmm. so i'm actually we we spoke briefly about this before the, the recording but um it'd be good to talk about how that came about uh where mm-hmm. you went and if you thought it was you know a good move and and maybe a bit of advice to people that are thinking about we've actually had quite a lot of people over the last two years since we since we started two years ago, ask about that you know about going to college in the US and is it a good idea and you know we we don't want to give that sort of advice because it's it's very different uh-huh. to different people but it'd be good to hear your your experience about that. Okay, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I was a, I was a decent junior runner in Germany. I ran in high school three fifty six fifteen hundred, which is about maybe four eighteen mile um, on the. On, on the U.S. scale there, and um, well, I was never good enough really to get any sort of financial aid here in Germany, so, uh, but I really like running, and I figured, okay, what do you do, what, what are the options, and then at the time, in 2010, um, some guy approached me on, on social media and was like, hey, uh, have you ever thought about running in the United States, and I'm, I'm like, no, I actually haven't, but um, tell me more, so um, this guy... <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> this guy, sounds kind of fishy, but that's how it went down. Um, and this guy, his name is uh, Simon Stützel, Simon Stützel. Um, he's found a company in 2010 that actually um, helps German athletes get scholarships in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I was the second wave of athletes. So basically, the first ones went over in 2010, and I was graduating in 2011. 
So we worked everything out. I got a few very nice offers from schools in the United States. And, well, I decided, you know, coming from Berlin, uh, well, not from Berlin, but from, from Germany, uh, I wanted to really go somewhere where it's warm. So I figured, okay, Texas would be a good place to go because I'm really not a big friend of winter if you haven't caught on to that yet. And um, so I decided to go by feel and pick the school that really um, had the, the, I guess, nicest coach that was really, yeah, the most interested in me and really, the, I guess, the most sincere way I felt, okay, he really cared for me, which is a good a good lesson I can give um, to high school students that want to go to the States. Um, the, the place to be is great, uh, wherever you, the city is and such is really important, but at the, at the end of the day, it's like a job, you know, the most important thing is your boss and your team. Um, so that's one lesson I can really pass on, pick the, the school where you, where you feel most comfortable with the coach. So I went over there. I wasn't very fast, as I said, about 418 mile, and I started improving. Uh, I started running also more, you know, a little faster. That's how it is in college. I, I got uh, got spanked a few times in practice. <laughs> Didn't really manage to keep up at first. It was hot in Texas. I ran my first 5K race in Texas. It took me 18 minutes to finish um, <laughs> because I was, just, I was just dying. Anybody ever ran? In Houston, out there in 100 degrees, 90% humidity, it's not fun, especially if you come from more moderate temperatures. So, um, yeah, I started getting better. My sophomore year, I really kind of improved. I ran 1425 in the 5K, um, 349 and 1500. So, we started showing some signs of, of um, you know, decent improvements there. Kept going, graduated in 2015. My coach luckily let me redshirt, so I ran another extra year. And it really helped me to kind of close the gap to the German national scene. Unfortunately, I never made it to national championship. I was really close in cross country one year, but um, on the way out to Fayetteville, Arkansas, to our regional championship meet, um, the airline actually kicked us out of the plane for no reason. So we had to drive for 14 hours, and I was absolutely knackered when we got there. Uh, so. That kind of ruined my chances. I finished about five spots out and 10 seconds out from making the individual qualifier for NCAA Division One Nationals. So I was kind of bummed out knowing that I've done really well all season and that kind of ruined it. But that's old, old news, basically. So um, do I recommend the college path? I absolutely do because, um, yes, there's good coaches and maybe not so good coaches out there but if you're a mature, if you're a mature somewhat mature athlete you know what what you want you, you have your goals um you maybe the biggest um keyword here again is, is maybe rest you know everybody can train harder but it's it's uh, most troubling for most people to to rest a little bit more you know to maybe um sit out a run or maybe um not do a workout some days and and such things and i think that's really important in the states because the coaches have a lot of kids to take care of. So you really need to, I'm not saying disobey your coach, absolutely not at all, because it's going to get you in trouble, but you need to know when to take a step back sometimes, and that's, I think, really going to help you to, to survive the college system, which, yes, it does involve a lot of racing, and it does involve hard training, but what it really does is it's going to buy you time. It's going to buy you at least four, if you retro a year, even five years, to really close the gap to improve, and that was my goal going to the States. I said, okay, when I come back, I want to be able to run at German, um, basically senior championships, um, hopefully be able to somewhat be relevant. And actually, in my first year back, I, I won a few medals. I won a medal in, in cross-country, got 
the Brownstone, the long distance here in Germany. Then I won the national championship in the half marathon, um, running 64.50, actually uh, edging out a guy that qualified for the Olympics that day. Henrik Pfeiffer, who was also on, on the podcast, um, I, I know, a few months back or even a year back or so. Um, so that was a major success at the time. No one knew me. Um, it was broadcasted on TV. They didn't know uh, who I was, so that's that's kind of funny. Um, and yeah, so that's my biggest lesson. The uh, United States is going to buy you time. It's going to give you a great education. You're going to come home with a bachelor's degree, lots of new friends, um, a great experience for anybody who's not native speaker in English. Um, of course, that's actually really important. Working as a headhunter, I can tell you that English skills are extremely important. So. The only problem you're going to have is possibly um, basically, you know, racing a lot and training a lot. But if you're mature enough to learn to say no or actually to use um, your own your own intellectual to kind of cut back on training sometimes when you have to, um, I think you're going to have a really good time. That's really, it's honestly fantastic advice. Um, I, I, I regularly speak to, oh, just as a side note, I regularly speak to a young lad from South Africa by the name of George Kush. I, I met him in, in Finland last year to race. He's a very talented young 800-meter runner. He ran 147 at the age of 18. He went to World Junior Championships. And uh, he's, yeah. he's regularly in touch with me. He's, I guess I'm sort of, even though he's, he's run, I was a 148, 800-meter. He's actually run faster than me. But um, uh, he sort of, I guess, uses me as somewhat of a, of a mentor um, in a way and um, I, I regularly speak to him about exactly what you just spoke about. In you've got to have the ability to say no to some things and and not just always go along with what the program has down on paper. And George is getting quite good at that, and he's often skipping sessions and running in the water. And he's finding that he's 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 doing very well over there now. He's only been there for four, three four months, but he just ran a very fast ten k cross country race. Um, nice. And he's sort of sort of staring down the barrel. Hopefully this year of running under three forty and under one forty seven and. Yeah, it's you know basically what I've been helping him with is exactly is exactly what you just said. So it's 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 very good advice. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, and I think one thing that a lot of people overlook before they go to the US and they don't really consider, or they, or they don't place too much emphasis on, is is what you also said, and it's that you know pe- people often think, oh, what if I go over there and I don't improve? Yeah, well, okay, a lot of people that does happen to a lot of people, but. You know, there is the free, there is the excellent education, and the the fact that you're going to be flown all over the U.S. to race. Mm-hmm. You're going to be going to training camps, maybe at altitude, make a lot of friends, um, have the experience of a lifetime. Like if you end end up going over there and not improving much or not improving at all, like there's still a lot of pros that come from it. And absolutely. And if you stay in your home country, like it, it, you know, myself being being based and and growing up in Australia, a, a lot of people struggle coming out of school because there's no funding at all like in in in, i spent some time in finland and i know germany is somewhat similar there are clubs that have some funding but in australia there's no funding so a lot of a lot of people in australia at least think what if i go over and don't don't improve but they don't think about the the possibility of them if they stay in australia they might not even be able to afford to keep running so (laughs) absolutely they might as well you're in a better position to go over there and, and and stagnate then maybe absolutely. maybe stay here and not go at all because you might not be running in a year or two. <laughs> absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah, I, that's. I, I had the same conversation with with um, a potential potential um, basically customer of this company that is called uh, Scholarbook. That's the one who who basically gets those kids those um, scholarships. 
And um, he was asking me, because he's one of those kids, he says, well, I really like it at home, and um, I like my coach, and I really enjoy running here, and I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not going to improve over there, and this and that. I said, um, listen, kid, chances are, in a year from now, if you don't go, you're not going to be running anymore, period. Yeah. Because that's what happens to most kids. Most kids get frustrated. They get stuck. They get extremely fed up with the lack of appreciation. That yes. is, I think, in my opinion, one of the biggest factors. Yeah. Um, in the States, people actually care for your, for your running. You're going to be in newspapers. You're going to be on television. You're going to be on the website on a regular basis. Um, you, you're a student athlete, so people actually care for your progress. Your professors are going to care. Try telling your professor in, I'm not sure how it is in Australia, but try telling your professor in Germany that you're running. He's going to tell you, son, you better stop soon because it's going to interfere with your studies. Um, this kind of talk, you know, so if you really want to pursue running, I think it's a great experience unless, and this is what I tell kids also, unless you're good enough coming out of high school to be a world-class athlete. Yes. If that is the case, then I tell kids, then stay at home. You're going to get funding. You're good enough already. Um, you don't need it. But for everybody else, everybody else who's not a world-class athlete coming out of high school, chances are you're going to find a school that is challenging enough for you academically and athletically, and you're going to have a really good time. Yeah, yeah that's excellent. Um, what's the name of the company, Scholarbook? They're, I hope they use this podcast as some sort of like advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be su- I, I think so. it would be suitable for them actually. Like we've 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 actually discussed in depth about how that uh, I guess how kids coming out of school should think about this stuff because you know before I decided to go to college in the US, I, I didn't think like this. I was just thinking I'm a one forty nine mid eight hundred runner. Am I going to improve or not? That was pretty much all I was mm. thinking. <laughs> so yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of kids share that attitude, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, we like to keep these podcasts sort of 45 minutes or less. We've been going for nearly 40, So, but this has been a really interesting um, uh, podcast and I appreciate you coming on. But uh, before we go, so, so so the goal now is sort of staring down the barrel of um, in the next sort of, I guess, five years roughly, aiming towards that, that 210 mark. But what, and I apologize if you did say this, but I may have missed it. What is the next race? Um, well, since since now I, I just recently after after um, the European Championship, I actually took seven weeks off right. um, because not because I was injured. I just um, promised myself I would take off from running until I really feel the sparkle again, and that actually took me six weeks. And then I talked to Dieter Hogan, and he said. Well, kiddo, let's wait at least another week or so to make sure it's actually feeling the sparkle and and not just some sort of other feeling and you're just getting bored. So um, it took me seven weeks. Then we started back training just two weeks ago. So right. I'm now kind of actually learning how to run again right now. You know, we're starting back up. So it's going to take me a long time to really start racing again. And that's totally okay because we're trying to go um, to a long Long, long training camp stint, um, which we're still debating where we're going to go, basically to skip the German winter and um, and then come back next uh, spring. And then we're targeting um, first the Berlin Half Marathon, which is one of these events that the company hosts that uh, supports us financially. Mm-hmm. So that's of course, is a given. And then we're debating where to do our spring marathon. Um, of course, then you have the German alternatives, Dusseldorf again, or maybe Hamburg. Um, Han- Hanover is, is one alternative. Maybe Vienna could be one, Prague, these kind of things. So that's all basically in the making right now. Mm-hmm. And But the very big goal is to run Berlin Marathon next year. 
um, which I think is going to be pretty exciting because a lot of athletes are running there to try to qualify for the Olympics. Everybody knows Berlin is probably the fastest one out there. Yep. So I hope, no one really I, hope I hope to be there too. I, I'd like to. I've got a I've got a sub two thirty goal at this stage for Berlin next year. So hopefully I'll see you there. <laughs> Berlin, is, Berlin is definitely the place to do it if if you're going to do it anywhere. Absolutely. Um, one tricky part for for most elite athletes is going to be that no one really knows yet how the whole qualification system works yet. Yeah. Um, they don't really have the standards anymore. It's now about a ranking kind of system mm-hmm. um, where you have to run big races, big meets to get points. And then based on your ranking in the, in the world, you either qualify or you don't. No one actually knows how it works yet. So hopefully someone will play, uh, explain us soon. Um, <laughs> hopefully. So so that is the big goal. And until then, really, it's uh, it's about training. Um, I, I I can't give you too much insight yet on Dina Hogan's training because, you know, I'm brand new to it. But... What I have learned already in the past few weeks and what he always stresses is um, basically have more strength and use less of it. So we're working a lot on the strength right now. We're doing about six six strength sessions a week of all kinds of stuff, you wow. know, in the gym, um, running uphill and cross-country routes, uh, really hilly routes. Um, we're doing um, yeah all sorts of, you know, the typical stuff, hurdles, jumps and so on. And while also simultaneously working on, um, yeah, efficient running form. So that's going to be the biggest tasks for the next, I guess, six months leading up to the big preparation. We said we're not really going to hit the spring marathon too hard, you know, because we're brand new with each other working uh, together. And so, but Berlin is really supposed to be the big one. And until then, it's going to be, yeah, build strength and learn how to use less in the race. That's really the whole point of it. Dita actually told me, hey, decent marathon, but um, you, you don't really run like a marathon runner. You run like a track runner trying to survive a marathon. So hopefully by next year, that'll look a little different. <laughs> well, you did run a fast 10K. 29.31 is, uh, if that's right, that's that's pretty fast. So, yeah, transitioning yeah, up. I, yeah, I guess it's not, it's not too bad. Um, I, I still think that my 10K is a little soft, though. I ran 13.59 5K, and I think I ran a decent half. So I, I'm, I'm not too proud of my 10K, actually. So um, <laughs> you kind of hit, hit a soft spot there. But oh, I'm what's, the, what, what's, your half, what, what's your half personal <laughs> best? Um, 64.50 and, and some change. Okay. Yeah, um, that's, good. that's when I won the, the German half marathon nationals yes. in, in a fairly tactical race so yep. hopefully also shave up a little bit of that one awesome. um yeah okay yeah cool. so that's uh that's one thing i've noticed a lot of people that run 216 marathons have a lot uh, faster half marathon and 10k pbs than my uh, than mine so hopefully i can catch up on that soon yeah i'm sh- i have all i have all confidence that you you will you seem like you are heading in the right direction with with everything and it's uh it's been really Good for you. I mean, I'm really appreciative that you've been able to share everything. And just before we finish, I just want you, I just want to ask a couple of like just sort of random rapid fire questions that maybe people can take some some tips from. Um, Absolutely. Uh, what does your last 24 hours before a race look like in terms of diet? Mm-hmm. Diet. Um, yeah. Well, in marathon running, diet is absolutely super important. So I would kind of expand that from 24 hours. So basically, you can you can use these lessons for the last three or four days. Uh-huh. So let's say you have the last seven days before the marathon. So on day seven, six, and five, I try to cut down on my carbs. So I don't do like um, an extreme no carb diet, but I 
try to keep it less than usual to kind of empty out the carbs just just a little bit. And then the last four days before the marathon, I really go into heavy carbo-loading. And a lot of people mix up carbo-loading and don't really know what it means. They just think it means eating a lot of junk food. That's actually not the point. <laughs> um, a big point of carbo-loading is not to eat a bunch of cake and such because cake also has a lot of fat in it and, and, and these things. So you still should try to maintain a healthy diet, but basically the the relation or the ratio of carbs to fat um, to protein should switch a little bit to about an 80 percent um, of calories coming from carbs, ten coming from fat, ten coming coming from protein. And if you keep that for the last four days um, and really cut down on your fiber, because a lot of people you know get stomach problems, you know some sort of have to do some sort of pit stops in their marathons. That's usually a problem of eating too much fiber before the race. Right. So basically, all it is high carb with starchy foods, which could be you know pasta, rice. Um, I love potatoes. Potatoes are perfect for that. Not much fiber, very high in in, in carbs, and uh, also have some sort of protein in it. So really, if you do that, um, you can't you can't go very wrong uh, very wrong on that part. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. Um, do you have any in the same in the same uh, question, do you have any sports? Do you use the sorry, Marathon? How do you pronounce the brand name? Uh, Morton. Morton. Do you have any of that like bef- in the in the days before? Do you like load on that, or is it just sort of normal, typical normal normal uh, drinking? Um, you can you can absolutely do that. Um, I have I have um, actually another product that I like to use. It's called Vitargo. It's, um, oh, yeah, it's a Swedish it, yeah. product. Um, they have a product called the Carboloader that um, you can also use it's fantastic in the race also it just it does just as good as morton Um, and you can also load up on it uh, the days before i like to drink in the the day before the marathon i drink two two portions of it and then in the morning off i drink one in the morning just uh, sip it with my breakfast um, which the breakfast you know is usually just like some sort of toast with honey or whatever Um, so that's how you can really get your your fuel up perfect um, favorite uh, interval training session. Favorite training session. Yeah, well, I actually, I actually really grew uh, on my long runs. Um, okay. I didn't really used to like long runs, especially the marathon specific long runs. You know, we run them up at upwards of ninety percent pace wise of of the goal race. So we run our long runs pretty hard. I've done one forty five kilometer long run. So how much is that? About twenty eight miles. Yeah. Um, and ran it at three uh, at three thirty and some change pace, so about five thirty, five forty per mile. Um, so, so you're going through so the you're that, going through the marathon there in about two about two thirty. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was I, I should have been I was probably around like yeah two twenty nine something like that. Yeah, yeah. and um, these <laughs> sessions actually really grew on me and started being a lot of fun um, because. It's it's very specific uh, marathon training, and at the end of these long runs, you really kind of get into that zone where everything kind of starts feeling a little fluffy. Everything hurts, but it, it it still feels good, though. I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, I guess that's what some people refer to as the runner's high, and I think that's the closest I've gotten to it. Perfect. Well, we've run out of time, but it's been a really informative uh, conversation. I appreciate your time. And I look forward to personally going to have a run with you next month in Berlin when I stop by. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'll show you the town. I live very central. I can show you 
Um, we can go on a little sightseeing if you want to. I can show you the last mile of the Berlin Marathon so you can kind of, you know, do that mental preparation already over the yeah. course of the next few yeah, just just no forty five k long runs at three uh, thirty, and then other other than that, <laughs> I'm <was> fine. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful, and uh, I hope I I gave you some decent insight that you can use for your for your own training and maybe um, go go on moving forward. Um, if you're a working athlete, um, I tell you stick to it. It'll be worth it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Philip. Thank you for joining us on that episode with Philip Barr. We have plenty of interesting guests lined up in the next few weeks for our podcast. So if you'd like to stay up to date with it and get notified when we do post a new one, the best way to do that is to go to our website, sweatelite.co and put your email address into the strip at the bottom of the page. It's free to do so. And by doing that, you will be sent information around once every week of new training information that we find through our researchers and writers. And you'll also be notified when we post a new podcast. So go to our website and do that if you'd like to stay up to date with the podcast. And before you go, don't forget to check out our new book on Amazon, the Elliot Kipchoge History's Fastest Marathon book, where we talk all about what it was like to train with Kipchoge for a month in Kenya. We talk about his training in detail, and we talk about the attitude amongst the group, the culture in Kenya, and all sorts of things like that. So do check that out on Amazon. It's $9.99, and I hope you enjoy it. Until next time.